Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Luca Naldini from London, talking about Kotlin and what they're doing with it at Shazam. Hi, Luca, and welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great for you to come on. Uh, Shazam is one of my most favorite tools ever. Uh, I remember I was probably one of the very... I don't know. I mean, I, I thought I was one of the very early users. I was, I was, I was using Shazam before Shazam was a thing. Let's just say like that. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's awesome. And, I, and and in fact, you know, talking about uh, Shazam, and we'll get to uh, we'll get to Kotlin in a bit. What 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 have you? What are you folks doing with that? I mean, uh, what what do you have in store? What what are the plans there? Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> it's always um, uh, it's always uh, I guess a challenge to find. Uh, uh, new, new features to to introduce uh, with uh, such a, a magical uh, magical app. And uh, what we want to uh, constantly improve uh, is uh, is the magic that we provide. And um, one of the uh, business focus is always uh, to make uh, the uh, the current features uh, as good as possible, to recognize the song in as little time as possible. And uh, um, that's what we take pride of. That's why Shazam is the, is the best app uh, in, the, in that category uh, on the market. Um, and, and that is definitely where we put uh, a lot of effort, uh, always uh, trying to uh, improve the performance uh, and, uh, um, and make uh, the user happy because at the end of the day, the users uh, are looking to uh, recognize the songs uh, in the little time as possible. And uh, um, it doesn't matter how popular or how um, um, unpopular a song is. Um, users, uh, what they care about is uh, knowing what's the title and what's the and where to find to buy the, the song. So that's uh, that's the constant um, improvement that we want to do. And then there are a lot of uh, a lot of um, different features that are uh, in the roadmap, and uh, a lot of uh, restructuring in, ter- in the internal infrastructure that uh, that we're working on. And it's it's something funny. Something you said, like you know, it, it's hard to add features to to an app that acts like magic, and it really is. Like, I mean, that that's the exact feeling. I remember the first time I used it. I'm like, this is just not going to work, right? And and I clicked on it. And I'm like, okay, wow, that that's impressive, right? <laughs> uh, and then the the next thing I did was, oh, let me try and sing a song and see if it recognizes it, despite it saying a million times, do not try and sing to me because I will not recognize this. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it really is. I mean, you know, it just works. It's one of those things that just like, oh, wow, it, it worked. Um, so so kudos to that. But how do, like, if I may ask, because I'm really interested in this, like, how do you, what is the technology behind it? How are you doing this? Um, I guess uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how far I can go. But basically, I think the, the, the paper, um, there is a, a public paper that kind of explains uh, uh, how the actual music recognition happens, and uh, I think it's available online, and uh, whoever is interested uh, uh, can actually um, ever read. Um, but um, yes, like I think uh, it's it's um, um, from my point of view. It, whenever they ask me, I always say, "Yeah, that's the the magic we provide," and uh, uh, I think I, I, will, I will just leave leave it. Leave it yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want you to disclose any uh, proprietary secrets <laughs> on this show, right? Uh, but it is—it's great because you know. I mean, as a developer, I always think, okay, well, right. Well, they got a song database. They got this. They got that, and they recognize the the bytes. But sometimes it's just so fast yeah. that you're thinking, okay, 
Now that was that was impressive. But anyway, kudos for that. Yeah, that's uh, so. That's pretty much yeah, go ahead. I, uh, so just to add uh, on the on the feature wise, because uh, uh, it's um, since uh, we are doing that so well, it's uh, always difficult to to pick uh, the next feature that we want to develop because uh, you mentioned the humming uh, or this trying to sing a song and trying to recognize it. Like uh, we, I, I think there have been attempt uh, or we investigated the possibility of it, but uh, the quality of the result was not. Uh, as high as we would we would want, so we decided uh, um, to not go with it because uh, what we want to provide to the user needs to be at the highest standard. Um, that, that, that's why it's kind of um, difficult to pick the right, the right next feature because uh, the the quality that we wanted to provide is uh, the the current one, which is uh, very high. Yeah, and that makes total sense. I, I don't know if you were watching uh, Google I/O yesterday. Uh, the keynote. W were you watching that? Oh, I, I missed that. Uh, so they had this part where it was basically um, the Google Assistant that made a phone call to a hair salon and it was the Google Assistant talking to the person on the other side of the phone making an appointment for the user. And it was really, really, really impressive, right? Uh, and then it even got more impressive when they had a second example when uh, saw the Google Assistant, this time a male voice, calls the restaurant where it's not so fluid, the interaction. Uh, you know, the, the person that was on the other side of the, the call at the restaurant wasn't understanding properly what the Google Assistant was saying, although the Google Assistant was absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. And it still managed to resolve that, right? And I guess with, with you, it's it's the same scenario. Like, you know, if you get someone that is awesome at uh, singing, that is on tune and, and is great, you may be able to interpret it. Uh, but then you've got the other end of the spectrum, which would be someone like me, which sings completely out of tune. Yeah. Uh, so if you ever need uh, like a beta tester for, for the complete mock-ups and mess-ups of, of bad singing, please do ping me because I'd love to be that. Perfect. I will uh, bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> and so Shazam is uh, mostly uh, a mobile app, right? Yes. We have, a, yeah, so, yeah, we have also a website um, where uh, you, can, uh, you can explore uh, charts and uh, uh, look at metadata and uh, do things like that, but uh, it's mainly used on uh, iOS and Android, yes. Yeah. And what is your biggest market? Is it like Android or iOS, or is it kind of a mix of both? I think uh, for uh, a long time, iOS was um, was the top, uh, but then uh, I think recently we got to the point that is uh, almost 50-50. Uh, so uh -huh. it's, it's, it's a nice split between the two. Do you have uh, other platforms like Windows? Well, what is Windows Phone nowadays? It's, it's not there, right? Did you ever have a Windows yeah, Phone we version? Did. Yeah, yeah, we did. You and, did. Uh, but as you as you mentioned, like we are around for such a long time that uh, uh, the very first way to recognize the music with Shazam was uh, to actually calling. Like to, there was a, a number which was a two five eight zero that uh, you would call, and then uh, uh, there would be a recording device on the other side that would record uh, the piece of music, and then you would receive a text message with the, uh, with the answer. And that was the very first one. And then, uh, of course, uh, the, the first smartphone came out, uh, so um, we, we basically developed uh, 
uh, apps for all of that, uh, from uh, the, the Java phones to the uh, Blackberries uh, to the first Windows phones, then uh, the latest generation of Windows phones. So basically, we had an app for pretty much everything. But now, the uh, of course, the most used is split between iOS and Android. Okay, so I will take back what I said. I, I was not using Shazam before Shazam was a thing <laughs> because I definitely do not remember the time when you had to make a phone call to, to get the song recorded. Yes. That is. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it's, it worked uh, until uh, I think a couple of years ago or maybe even last year uh, where we basically switched it off because we received uh, like a couple of phone calls uh, per month. So <laughs> we decided that was enough. <laughs> That wow, that is that is that is very cool. Yeah, and you know, just I guess that's one use of a of the actual phone itself. You know, because like lately, when we talk a lot about uh, smartphones, one of the least used applications on a smartphone, I think, is the actual phone. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> and um, I, I read an article a couple of days ago about how scientists have yet again kind of uh, shown through studies that there is an association be between uh, brain tumors and uh, uh, mobile phones, right? Um, and this is, of course, in the context of the media and, and the scientists that they have, right? I'm not stating that this is actual fact because nowadays you don't know what is actual fact. But, and I thought to myself, is that really a problem? Because people don't actually take the phone to their heads anymore, right? Yeah. They they mostly they hardly ever use it as a telephone anymore. So, you know, I think we're safe in that area. <laughs> yeah, true. That's cool. So now talking about Kotlin a little bit. Uh, of course, we were introduced via one of my colleagues, uh, Florin, that uh, said that you you folks were using uh, Kotlin. And surprisingly, I mean, I don't know if you are you actually using Kotlin for the Android application as well or not? So, um, yeah, so basically I work in the server team. So I do the back end. Uh, we are responsible for, um, for pretty much all the APIs that the mobile client use. Um, but uh, recently, well, recently, a few months now, since pretty much the announcement from Google that Kotlin is officially supported, um, uh, the Android team uh, has been... Uh, using for new feature the Kotlin language and also trying to refactor and convert uh, um, previous code uh, to, um, yeah, to adopt uh, the Kotlin features. Uh, so the answer is yes, they definitely use it. Okay. And then you're from the backend team, which was what we were going to uh, discuss a little bit because you are using Kotlin on the backend as well, yeah. in a way? Yeah. So we recently started uh, um, by curiosity, just uh, giving the, giving it a go and see if uh, all the uh, all the hype and all the promises <laughs> that you read online is actually true. And uh, yeah, we slowly started adopting it um, for uh, for whatever we think that it makes sense. Okay. And what technologies are you actually using on the back end? Yeah. If uh, whatever you can share, obviously, I don't want trade secrets. No. Yeah. I mean, the so we basically have. Uh, uh, an ecosystem of uh, microservices. Um, when I joined uh, seven years ago, we had uh, um, the, the main backend system was basically a monolith uh, that uh, over the years have been split uh, gradually into microservices. And um, uh, nowadays, I think we have around uh, between 
20 and 30 microservices. And uh, we finally, uh, recently, just in a couple, a couple of months ago, we managed to deprecate the and the commission the like the, the monolith so that. Uh, um, we can just work on the on the new on the new code and uh, the microservices are mainly it's like 85% written in java and also we have uh, some of them written in uh, in go which uh, we we trialed a um, couple of years ago uh, and was quite successful for certain certain projects and uh, more recently um, we also uh, tried the kotlin and i think uh, now we have uh, three microservices entirely written in kotlin so yeah so i'm curious how you how you did that if you can actually share you said you know you came 7 years ago and you had a monolith yeah. and then you said well we're going to split this up into microservices uh well, there was a specific reason behind this, right? It wasn't just because you know Netflix or whatever company was doing it that you wanted to do it. No, what 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 was the reason behind it? No, because uh, we have, uh, um, of course, you always wanted to improve your um, your CI um, workflow, and uh, uh, what we find difficult was uh, that every time we wanted to change a little tiny bit of the system, we needed to redeploy the whole thing. And uh, it was um, it was it was very it, like it was written uh, almost uh, ten years ago, I think. And uh, TDD was not uh, um, the law yet, <laughs> so it was not in uh, <laughs> It was not written with that in mind. So you can imagine that even uh, uh, coming afterwards, it was uh, very difficult to write tests around it and. Uh, uh, we were not very confident in uh, the the changes that we were making, with uh, uh, which basically has a ripple effect on the whole uh, productivity because uh, it takes much longer. You have to do manual testing, uh, and uh, it, it's just not scalable. So we we started uh, basically extract uh, extracting bits and pieces that were still uh, called by the monolith, but uh, trying to basically um, take them out of uh, the picture and. Uh, um, deployed in different environments uh, so that we had the ability to scale them up or down um, according to, to the requests. And um, yes, in the end, uh, after a, a long time, we managed to um, be, be in a position where the, the clients don't have to go through the monolith anymore. Uh, and that was, uh, was a relief, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. And so one of the first things I assumed that you had to move away from was essentially, a, I mean, I'm assuming that when you talk about a monolith, you also had a single database or a single source of truth. It was that the case? We, yeah, we were uh, storing everything in this uh, massive uh, Oracle database, which um, we kind of exploited, exploited until uh, we could. And uh, when we kind of reached the uh, capacity and it was not manageable anymore, then we had to. We were kind of forced to think uh, um, about moving to the cloud, uh, and the whole process started. And then when you when you started this split, so you said, okay, so I'm going to take some functionality that the client calls, and I'm going to try and split that off of the monolith. At the same time, you had to split the, the database as well, right? Yeah. The, the, that, that portion of the data that was being used by that functionality, right? Yes. 
And then how did that affect in terms of like, what was the next step in, you know, going from a, a single source of truth, a single database to multiple databases? Uh, because I'm assuming that the rest of the monolith still needed some of the data from that service. Yes. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I think we were trying to, what we tried, because I tried, uh, I joined seven years ago and uh, the process of uh, moving to microservices was uh, already in place. So I, I can't tell you because I don't know what was the very first bit of information or functionality or business logic that has been moved out. But um, um, I remember that when I joined, we were working around the social uh, integration uh, with Facebook and um, um with other social media platforms and uh, I remember that uh, the new functionality uh, instead of being added to the monolith was implemented uh, in a microservice uh, which had its own uh, its own database and um, it was basically performing one function only and that was uh, of course quite new and it was quite easy because it was a new functionality for uh, uh, existing data um, you can imagine that we had to um, create a lot of uh, uh, migration jobs you know, to extract uh, the data from uh, from Oracle and uh, put them uh, in uh, in the cloud storage um, that we that we chose at the time. Yeah, and so some of these microservices now you said are well, eighty five percent or so you mentioned that are using uh, based on the JVM. Uh, all of them Java, or uh, I mean, uh, with the exception of Kotlin, everything else is Java. That's running on the JVM. Yes, we yes we have uh, we have a few bits and pieces that are written in Scala, but um, we kind of abandoned it because uh, uh, the, the developers that uh, were actually knew Scala and were comfortable with Scala and wanted to write Scala, um, they moved on. So uh, we, we basically decided uh, to, to to not continue on that path. Um, but yes, it's uh, it's mainly Java. Yes. So I've got a question for you in regard to that. Obviously, people, you know, people move on, right? And and the, the, we we know the famous bus number, right? Which is how many people from your team have to be thrown under a bus for the for the project to fail. Uh, so obviously, if you have a few people that know a specific language and they move on, the next time you're going to adopt a language, you're going to remember that, right? You're going to say, I don't want the same thing to happen. Has that come up? in terms of adopting Kotlin? No. Um, if, you're, if the question is, uh, has somebody regretted to have uh, written uh, the project in Kotlin, uh, has not come up yet. And uh, No, no, no. The, the, the question was more like, when you were evaluating yes. using something in Kotlin, yes. what did you have in mind, you know, I don't want to end up in a situation again when we're adopting a new language and then the people that are working with this new language get up and leave. Oh, uh, no, yeah, I see what you mean. And uh, um, no, I don't think uh, it's, um, it was, it was uh, of course, in our mind. Uh, uh, but uh, since the beginning, when we wanted to investigate uh, uh, Kotlin, everybody was on board, like the entire team was on board. And uh, we had uh, team meetings about it. Uh, and uh, um, we didn't uh, jump uh, uh, straight into it like we started adopting uh, Kotlin uh, um, not from scratch not with a new project but we started with uh, some uh, uh, to writing some tests uh, in our case were some system tests basically that were testing uh, the integration of microservices 
and not even all of them, like just some some part of it. Because uh, one of the things that is uh, great about uh, Kotlin is that uh, uh, it's completely interoper interoperable with uh, with Java. So um, you can add it to existing projects without uh, having to commit to anything. Like if you're not happy about it, you can just uh, convert it back to Java and uh, uh, nobody gets hurt. <laughs> But um, in terms of the adoption uh, at the time when we chose it, the, the entire team was quite excited about it. Uh, we wanted to explore it. And, and um, yes, it, there was like a, a large consensus. And uh, we also found out that whenever we were mentioning uh, uh, that we were trying to adopt or investigating Kotlin um, in uh, interviews, uh, the candidates were actually very excited about it, um, which was kind of a confirmation that is... Uh, is a uh, is a language that uh, is going upwards and uh, generates a lot of interest. So you took a different approach to many people, which is uh, you know let's uh, convert some data classes, well, POJOs to data classes or some small utilities. You took the the approach of tests, which again some people have taken. But one of the uh, concerns or concerns, one of the discussions that come up when people say I'm going to start adopting Kotlin through tests is will I actually see the the benefit of the language will I leverage the some of the things that make it more pleasant to work with or more efficient to work with because you know tests normally have a certain pattern that repeats over and over again mm -hmm. did you find this the case in in, in your team or did the tests actually entice people to try out more and they they really like the language? Yeah, in a way, you are right. I, I definitely see what you're saying. Uh, but um, in our case, the system test that, that we were uh, trying to write uh, uh, contained some uh, possibility in order to uh, experience uh, uh, the nice functionalities of Kotlin. Because uh, um, So our system test, so basically um, most of them, they need to have some sort of setup the beginning and the setup usually means uh, um, posting some data into some of the microservices so that the data is stored in the database uh, and uh, and then you can perform the action that you want to test and then do some assertion and uh, in particular in the, the the posting data normally what you will do is just write some some json uh, but then uh, if you want to write a few tests about it you want to just uh, per, um, create permutations of uh, some of the fields of uh, of the json then uh, it gets a bit messy um, so what you usually do is just have a, a pojo no? like a, a bin or a, um, a, a class with with uh, a bunch of fields that then you can uh, uh, build nicely in the test so that uh, in the testing you basically state how you're building um, the, the the setup or what how you're priming the test and uh, in, in that sense uh, um, Kotlin was helping because you have data classes uh, which uh, is um, uh, revealed to be a huge help <laughs> because it kind of avoided us to create those massive uh, uh, projects with getters and setters or, uh, or builders um, builder patterns uh, and um, in a way we, we already we, we kind of experienced and we were happy about the fact that we didn't have to write uh, so much boilerplate yeah, and you said that one of the other languages that you used was Go, or I mean, you still use, right? Yes. Uh, in terms of the microservices, uh, or, or at least for the backend, in what in, in what area is Go used there? So uh, 
Go was initially um, investigated when uh, we were trying to tackle some of the um, memory footprint issues that we were having with some of the uh, Java services. Um, because normally, like average, in average, uh, a Java services process when it's deployed, uh, um, in, in our case at least, uh, takes uh, around 200, it goes from 150 and uh, 350 megabytes in terms of memory. And um, um, some of them were kind of uh, difficult to, to, to scale. Like, uh, of course, you can buy more memory, and uh, but it was getting a bit costly. And we just wanted to to see if there was another way of dealing with such problems. And uh, the, the areas that we were uh, experiencing those problems were kind of, um, in terms of business logic, very simple. Uh, so we, 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 of course, we investigated about uh, Go, and one of the features is that it's very lightweight. And, uh, and that's where uh, we, we, we tried it. And uh, we normally tend to use uh, um, Go for projects that are quite standalone that do not need any of uh, the existing uh, libraries that we might have available and they're written in Java. Um, so that, that's the, the way uh, we have been uh, deciding uh, which programming language. And uh, it's usually services that receive a lot of RPS. Um, so if they need to, if they need, they need to perform a, a very simple task that does not require much um, business logic, uh, um, you might as well just do that in Go, which uh, it's uh, super performant. Yeah. And I was going to say also projects that don't make use of generics, right? Yeah. <laughs> I saw. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you see uh, recently uh, I saw a project that is basically trying to add generics to go via templates or something like that, yeah. uh, which is, uh, you know, they, they say, no, we can do fine without generics until you actually need generics. Okay. So. That's cool. And one of the areas uh, and the reason I asked you about go is uh from my understanding and from what we see, you know, Go is also something that is uh, used a lot in terms of, I, I, I'm sorry to use this phrase, but in, in DevOps, right? Because DevOps isn't really a role or an area, but you know what I mean in terms of uh, monitoring and, and system level uh, applications, et cetera. Yeah. And, and so my curiosity there is when you talk about lightweight and you talk about not having to have this uh, potential associated runtime with it, et cetera, what I'm curious about is whether we will start to see some adoption of Kotlin Native, which yet isn't released, but when it is released, or at least in beta, in this area of uh, you know system level utilities, et cetera. So I don't know if that's something that you've ever looked at or considered or thought about at all. No, I didn't really think about it, but it's it's um, interesting what you're saying about uh, uh, Go being uh, considered like a DevOps language because that's pretty much how I started uh, personally adopting it. Um, I, I needed to do some some sort of utility command line utility for uh, uh, for the team just to deploy things locally and. And be able to test the microservices uh, uh, locally, and uh, and that and I was basically I started doing some simple bash script and stuff, and then uh, it kind of uh, complicated uh, got complicated very quickly, and then uh, I started investigating uh, and uh, exploiting this opportunity to um, to learn Go, and it turned out that it was very 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 easy to uh, to learn. Uh, there, there is a learning curve that is very quick, like within hours uh, you are able to do a 
um, a simple simple program, um, and uh, it yeah it, it like it's it was a lifesaver because if I had to do what I did in in Bash, uh, it, <laughs> it would have taken uh, months instead of uh, just a couple of days. Um, so that's like what you're saying. It's uh, it's interesting because that's exactly how I started uh, playing with it. Yeah, and in fact, also, you know, you combine that with the ability that uh, we have a Kotlin script, right? Uh, which right now, obviously, is limited to to the JVM, but it, it does make it interesting. I mean, if I have to do anything with Bash, and I literally mean something very, very small, you say it takes you months, it'll probably take me years. <laughs> because, if they, like, it, it's with regular, the same as the regular expressions. Okay, I need to do this with Bash. Let me go on Stack Overflow and see if someone else has done yeah. it. And I'll copy-paste. If not, okay, well then, um, yeah. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> that's cool. And so with the server-side stuff, with the microservices, are you using any specific technology when it comes to the Kotlin version? Any frameworks like the Spring or something like that? No, so we haven't. Uh, no, to be honest, uh, we tried. Uh, um, we, we basically just uh, included the Kotlin. And we haven't uh, tried one of those uh, uh, specific libraries Um, um for Kotlin, so that's something that uh, we'll probably investigate, but we didn't turn, uh, feel the need so far, So, um, which is probably good because uh, it, Kotlin is not uh, opinionated enough that uh, will force you to uh, use a specific library written in, in Kotlin uh, in order to, um, to, to, to be adopted, so I, I kind of like that. Yep, I mean that was one of the goals, right? Yeah. Not to have to need your specific uh, framework, but use what there is. That's great. Well, it's uh, it's been great chatting with you, Luca. Uh, it's as I said, I'm a big fan of Shazam and the work you folks do. Uh, I really wish you success, and I hope that you uh, continue to come up with even more awesome magic. And hopefully, you can use more Kotlin to create that magic. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so because it's uh, it's been fun uh, working with it. So uh, I, I look forward for the next project. Great. And thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me.